0: Welcome to Two Inches Off the Ground. When you are enlightened, you live your life two inches off the ground. Thank you for downloading this episode. Please give me five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you like this podcast, tell a friend. This is episode 50 and we'll close out season one. Melissa, you are closing out season one with me. So exciting. So exciting. And I'm rolling right into season two starting next week with spiritual and metaphysical holiday episodes. Please note, today we are discussing activating subjects such as grief and suicide loss in this episode. I'm so excited to introduce my soul sister, amazing friend, healer, grief counselor, and the crystal queen, Melissa. She is the host of a beautiful podcast called The Leftover Pieces, Suicide Loss Conversations, And she is a creator of an amazing online support community and resource network called The Leftover Pieces, Rebuilding You. After losing her 21-year-old son, Alex, to suicide in 2016, her heart was completely shattered. And for a long time, she wasn't sure she would even survive. Over time, though, Melissa did learn how to pick up The Leftover Pieces, and now her vision is simple— to help lead other parents step toward hope and into healing after the loss of their child from suicide. She believes that picking up the pieces of a shattered life after suicide is possible through meaningful conversations, mindful resources, and a connected community of survivors. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks, Jen. Briefly tell us about your beautiful son, Alex and why you started your podcast, The Leftover Pieces, Suicide Loss Conversations.
1: Yeah, sure. It's always my pleasure to have an opportunity to talk about Alex. So Alex is my middle child. Um, He was outgoing and gregarious and funny and thoughtful and honestly one of the most caring people I knew I mean, just aside from being his mom, he was just a super, a super carer. You know, he just nurtured everybody that he was around. He always put, sometimes to his own detriment, other people before himself. He was uh, someone who liked to resolve issues. He didn't want there to be angst or issues around. So he was just, he was probably his mother's child. I've come to realize that more. Um, in his loss than I probably did sometimes in his life. Um, And that's probably not giving myself enough credit and not just connecting the dots enough. So he was kind of larger than life. He was that person that when he came into the room, kind of all eyes turned to him. It wasn't from an ego standpoint. He wasn't an egoist at all. He was actually extremely unapologetically himself. And he, it was like, he didn't know better from a very young age, which is a good quality in my opinion, because most of us learn to be self-deprecating and self-judging and all of those things very early on. My son was very much himself, even from a little boy. I used to always say he kind of walked to the beat of his own drummer because he did. He did things however he wanted. He, Oh, he used to do things like just have random outbursts of laughing or crying or screaming or just kind of out of nowhere without reservation. He just didn't apologize even from that age. And, you know, having parented three children and knowing other, plenty of other parents, kids tend to show a lot of who they are very young. We tend to think, oh, they're going to grow up or grow out of this. No, that's probably just going to morph into a different, a different version, a more grown up version of themselves because I saw him go on to do and be the same things. He was in show choir. He was, you know, at the state level, he was an officer in a technology club and he was a varsity athlete and he fit as equally as well into every single one of those groups. And that's not something a lot of people can say. Most people can't interchangeably wear different hats like that. So he was just amazing. And his last... Six months of his life is probably when I would say Alex struggled. Now, as a super carer, to say that we don't internally struggle, I obviously know he did. Hindsight's always 20, 20 He was obviously caring more than he could bear. But the last six months, he talked about struggling a bit. Now, struggling to the point that he was, none of us had any idea, um, unfortunately. He was getting ready to go into his third year of college, and he was in leadership in a fraternity that he wasn't gelling with a lot of the members of. And there was just a lot of what I call normal stress for a 21 year old in their third year of college. He'd broken up with a girlfriend of a year just a few months prior, and things that Uh, He let his grades go because he was too involved with the fraternity and all the things that go with that. And it was just kind of life weighing down on him. And he was open about it. We talked about it. We knew he was going to a counselor. We knew all the things, but he never told us how severe it was. We honestly didn't know what to look for. Um, I also didn't have the knowledge that I do now that I could have been more proactive and probably being willing to address things head on, you know, asking if he was suicidal and things like that. But, you know, it was just uh, a culmination of life and events and a decision that he couldn't take back. And that's unfortunately a lot of times really what happens with suicide. There's not all of the, all of the forewarning that people think there might be. So In the end, that was, you know, I saw him eight days before we lost him. And he had been with us for five weeks, even though he didn't live at home anymore. He'd come home that summer because there was a, his job had closed. It was in a small college town and they had closed for a couple of months. And so he took that time and came home and spent five weeks with us. And they were five really, really good weeks. And we parted ways and eight days later he was gone. So that was kind of, um, and I, I apologize. I know I, I answered, oh, the podcast. So let me let me branch into the second part of your question is so after losing Alex and not knowing how I was going to survive and we'll just fast forward through the first year of survival and numbness, it was probably somewhere in the second year that I was still trying to read books that I had bought and been given I was still trying to absorb things that I would find on the internet and somewhere along the line, I stumbled upon podcasts and I was spending a lot of time alone and quiet, whether it be in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep or, you know, in the middle of the day because I found myself without something to do for a few moments and I just couldn't digest the written word. I would try to read it and I'd get partway into it, whether it was a sentence or two paragraphs, and just realize I hadn't absorbed any of it. It was like, you know, the fog was just so real. And so in finding podcasts, I was looking for places to find comfort. And I started looking for, of course, spaces for suicide loss grievers. And I just couldn't find that specific area. I did find a couple of really good communities and grief podcasters and one in particular that I really connected with. And she's still podcast. Now she does a podcast called grief seeds. Her name's Shelby Forsythia, And she did coming back for three years. I just really connected with her spirit and her compassion and her, her own, you know, she had experienced the loss of her mother by cancer. And so again, it wasn't the same loss. It was a parent, not a child. And it wasn't suicide loss. And somewhere about three in the third year after listening and being so connected and realizing the power of podcasting, I kind of just one day said, you know, being, I think I was frustrated because again, I was looking and I could find little pieces of like somebody had started a podcast about suicide loss, but they got 10 episodes in and I realized they hadn't recorded for three years. So that 10 episodes was all they were going to do or whatever. I couldn't find anybody that was currently podcasting about it. And one day I just had that moment where I said, well, maybe I could do this. And that became the idea. And I kind of went really quickly from idea to I can do this. And then it was almost a year before I actually started the podcast. We actually just hit a year, the 17th of November. So I'm just over a year old (laughs) on the podcast.
0: And the podcast is doing so well. And I love it. And I love listening to it. And um, we're going to get into this later, but it, it is a heavy subject, but we're going to talk about how to listen to it and, and how I feel when I listen to it. And another thing I just wanted to say to a couple other things in response to what you were saying was, you know, I've, I listened to your podcast. I've heard you talk about Alex so many times. And every time I just get a smile on my face, you know, he just sounded like, again, life of the party walks into the room, magnetic guy, and so every time I just think about him, I, I just get really smiley. And actually, my Reiki started firing up in my hands when you started talking about him. So there's something magnetic about him that's that energy is still here to me.
1: It and is. It absolutely, absolutely is. And, and he was magnetic in life. So the thought that he's still magnetic isn't, is yeah, he is.
0: <laughs> he, he definitely is. And, and another thing, too, you had talked about is knowing the signs It's such a, you know, futuristic thing to say, oh, I should have known the signs or whatever, because I've talked about my childhood trauma many times. No one recognized the signs. No adult recognized the signs in that. And there were people that were professionals and had psychology degrees that did not recognize those signs. It's one of these things where I guess forgiveness comes into that forgiveness of self, right? Because how could you recognize that, especially if it's a happy, gregarious seemingly happy, gregarious person. So I just want to put that out there.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and, and I didn't mean to imply uh, that I had a huge amount of guilt. Um, And on some level that may sound that sounds bad and good, right? It sounds good that I'm not guilt ridden. And then as a parent, if another parent's hearing that the especially if they're earlier in their a lot earlier in their grief, they might think how in the world could you not feel guilty? don't kid yourself. I'm a parent. (laughs) The parent guilt doesn't ever go completely away. It's just not going to, it's still going to always on some level feel like it was my job to make sure he was okay. Yep. Period. But that is something that I have tucked in an intentional place and I visited and I let it be there, but intellectually, I know all the things I know and educating myself was one of the key things that helped alleviate the guilt of, could I have really done something? And I know the answer is no. I, I, in that moment, couldn't have, it was the way it was. It was the way it was. And he knew he was loved and he had a huge support network and all the things. So, Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you for answering that and clarifying that. I appreciate that. Listening to your podcast and your incredibly supportive clubhouse room, which I highly recommend for fellow grievers and listeners, I will put the clubhouse information in the show notes. I believe it's today, right? It's Wednesdays at 2 p.m.
1: Yeah, that one is. Yeah. And then I have my own clubhouse club now, and I do a room for parents of suicide loss survivors, the one that is every Wednesday is for suicide loss survivors period. Okay. In in general. So, and it's with other moderators. The one I do myself is the first and third Saturday of the month and it's for parents of suicide loss. So people that have lost their child.
0: Okay. So the um, one for general suicide loss survivors is Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Every and, single Wednesday, and we are the longest running
1: clubhouse room in this space. So that's something.
0: Wow. wow, that's amazing. And I've been in there. It's it's amazing. It is amazingly supportive. And then the one specifically for parents, again, could you say that just one more time?
1: Yeah, Wait. it's the first and third Saturdays of the month at 4.30pm Eastern Time.
0: Okay, thank you. Just so mm-hmm. everyone knows. Okay, perfect. And I'm gonna put this all on the show notes. So I love when I go in these rooms that You discuss language to avoid around those who have experienced suicide loss. I'm always happy to learn new terms, Melissa, and as an empath, create a safe space for everyone. However, I'm not going to lie. I have been guilty of making an inappropriate death gesture or saying an inappropriate term. I want to stop doing that now that I've met you and I've absorbed all this amazing information, especially your podcast. I have stopped. I believe I've stopped doing that. There was someone around me who did something like that, said something, or I think made a gesture and I explained the whole thing to them. They're like, oh my God, I had no idea. So it's really good education. So please let everyone know what terms to avoid.
1: Yeah, I sure will. And I will preface it with a really short thing of saying that the first thing people have to do with anything like this, whether it's you know things that are around suicide loss or BLM or, or LGBTQ trans type language is to, to give themselves a leeway to say, I can, I can get better, I can move forward, I can evolve and learn and to not get caught up in the, oh, my gosh, guilt of because I too, have done and said insensitive things in lots of arenas before and have learned. And have evolved. And so that's my biggest thing is, we do talk about how language matters and words matter. And I believe that not just in this space, like meaning I believe it in all of those spaces. And I've done a great deal of education and growth in a lot of areas in my life for that with language and words mattering. So appreciate you having this forum and this place to, to talk about that. And I will definitely enlighten you a little bit in my space where that does matter with because um, unfortunately, there are a lot more people out there in the world that than ever that have experienced suicide loss personally, and or themselves or somebody in their world is potentially suicidal. The first thing and most obvious thing is to not talk about people committing suicide Instead, the best thing to do is talk about people dying by suicide. They died by suicide or they um, ended their own life. It's okay to say that, of course. The idea behind stepping away from the word commit is it very strongly ties to, in some countries it is still illegal around the world, but it very strongly ties to the times, especially if you look at the UK and places where it was illegal, it was a crime. So we talk about people committing murder all the time. And, you know, yes, officially suicide is self-murder, But that's even, I mean, when you think about the implication of of calling it that, even that's harsh. Like, don't you almost cringe to hear self-murder? So that's the same feeling that committing suicide evokes in us, whether we realize it or not. So saying died by suicide allows for all of that other stuff, which is that this was a mental illness. This was a mental health condition, whether that be I tell people it doesn't mean somebody was mentally ill their whole life. It's we have elements of the body that come and go, whether it be today, I'm suffering from allergies or I'm a chronic allergy sufferer. Our mental health is the same way. And so to imply that it was somehow an egregious act is what what why we stay away from that word. Um, beyond that, I would just say that it's about being a conscientious speaker. And just thinking about what we say, we try to stay away from the word trigger, and people talk about triggers a lot, but triggers are involved in a lot of suicides, an actual trigger. And so, people that have lost their loved one um, by gun quite often are activated by that word, and so we just step away from it and use the word activate. Or something similar to that, there's whole is out there. But you know we just try to stay away. For the same reason, we also try to stay away from phrases that in our culture we've said, like stepping out in front of a train. People talk about their day being so bad, they just want to end their life. And they say you know, things more harsh than that, but it's what they're saying. They're saying, oh, my day was so bad, I want to just do this. And they don't mean it that way, but there's two reasons not to do it. The first one is that they they just, you, you want to be sensitive. Well, no, the first one is really that you don't want to contribute to the stigma because what language in general does, and we talk about all the reasons, not just suicide, but it contributes to the problem a lot of times. So when you're insensitive about suicide and you treat it casually or flippantly or carelessly, you're contributing to the idea that it's really not that big a deal or it's not that serious or, or it's shameful. Therefore, anybody having suicidal ideation or thoughts, let's just go there for a minute and not go to the lost survivors. Those people then suddenly feel like, okay, well, this is a big joke. Everybody jokes about suicide. Everybody says those things so carelessly, and it makes them feel like they can't step forward and say, listen, I'm thinking of ending my own life because they don't want the same casualness and carelessness paid to something that is that serious to them. They don't want to feel ashamed. And so as long as we're treating it as something that's a joke, how are they going to actually feel safe to step forward into a space where they trust somebody enough to say, listen, I'm contemplating ending my life. So it's just about taking that that away so that when we say to people it's okay to not be okay, we mean it. How would people feel if people joked about somebody dying of cancer? And they just said, Oh, I wish I wish I could get cancer. I mean, nobody would ever say that. You would look at somebody and go, Holy cow, why would you say that? Right? So it's that it's just that idea. And the second reason is obviously being sensitive to not knowing what other people have gone through. And you don't know that you're not standing right in front of somebody. When you make a gesture with a like your fingers, a gun, or whatever, you don't know that you're not standing in front or in the company of somebody who lost their loved one that way. And the thought that you could, you know, essentially put a, a dagger in their heart unknowingly is something most of us would never, ever want to do. So it just goes back to being a more sensitive person and realizing we have all these choices in how we speak and the compassion with which we put forward to humanity. That it just is really about making ourselves a more evolved version of our, you know, to vibrate higher, as you say, you know, to vibrate higher. And that's just about being more sensitive around our language, I think, is, is what, you know, we're talking about here.
0: Thank you for thoroughly explaining that, because that's something I really wanted to get out here in this episode. Because I learned so much from listening to you about it. And now I can share it with my listeners. So I really, really appreciate that. Thank you for the thoroughness. Really appreciate that. How are the holidays for you after Alex passed? How did you celebrate them before? And what do you do now?
1: Yeah, that's a good That's a good uh, question. So they're very different. And they're very different for two reasons. They're very different. The first one is the, the easy one, which is that my kids are all grown now. And when Alex died, two of my three kids were out of the house. Um, One of them was about to be out of the house. He was graduated and a week from going to college when we lost Alex. So I lost Alex as I became an empty nester at the same time. And so my holidays were about to shift anyway. As far as, you know, grown kids, they aren't always available. You don't have them waking up in their beds necessarily, you know, on Christmas morning. So sometimes I tell people I get lost and not really, I will never know what it was like to just become an empty nester because it's always going to be tangled with my grief, with my loss of Alex, with my family literally being fractured and and broken. I used to put up all the trees and decorate and... (sighs) Um, we're not a Christian household. So I'll preface it by saying that I'm very respectful of all beliefs. But we are not a Christian household. But we participated in what I will call the commercialism of the holidays in putting up a tree. Um, you know, I raised kids and that's what you do. You put up a tree and you put the presents under it. And we looked at it as more of you know, family time, you know, Santa Claus, they, they of course, because we live in today's world, the kids believed in Santa Claus and all of that. And so we did all of the things. And the first year after we lost Alex, I lost him in Al- in August. So Christmas was pretty close. Thanksgiving was pretty close. And so I was still in shock and I didn't put up a tree or a decoration one until Christmas Eve. And then I put up one small tree because I had a granddaughter coming over. She was very small, so she wouldn't have known the difference. But grandma knew and had grandma guilt. So I wanted and so my husband helped me put up a tree that that evening. And we did some very broken version of Christmas. I became good at the holidays and I am now at planning, but I'm good at having a plan B, too. And I didn't know you didn't I didn't used to have a plan B. It was like, here's the plan, and this is what we're doing, and everybody's coming, and all these things. Now, not only do I draw more boundaries and I'm more intentional with what that plan really looks like for our family, but I also have, I'm flexible enough to have a plan B of plan A for some reason no longer makes sense, whether it's for me or somebody else in my family, especially in early grief you might need to change course if you find the direction you're headed down no longer serves you and doesn't feel right. And so that's a lot of the advice I have at the holidays is just like grief in general is to allow yourself to listen to yourself and be mindful and guide yourself accordingly.
0: I love this episode. It's called holidays after suicide loss. It's in Melissa's podcast. I will put it in the show notes and it gives Great advice. And there's one, there's one piece of advice I really want to talk about. And it's for anyone who's a griever, they lost someone by suicide, by you know, anything, or just depression. You know, you just have depression during the holidays. It just brings it on. And this was something Melissa I talked to, you, I really wanted to do was talk about this struggle during the holidays because I used to have it. And I used to have it big time. I love how you talked about during your episode. One thing, one thing you really pointed out was set your boundaries, set your boundaries. I had talked about with you in a clubhouse room that it doesn't have to be a freaking Hallmark card. You know, it's like, you know, when you think about a Hallmark movie, which they're so popular these days, right? Think about it. It's filmed in July. It's fake snow. It's up in Canada. They're all sweating their asses off. So even that's fake. Right. (laughs) That's not even real. So, you know, for me, a good example is I was invited to a Thanksgiving celebration three hours away from my house. I live two hours from the city, New York City. To go to this person's celebration, I would have to go around the city through New Jersey to Pennsylvania. What a pain in my ass. So that would have probably been an eight hour round trip drive for a one day thing. I said, no, you know, I wasn't, I didn't make up an excuse. I didn't do anything. I just said, no, I, of course I did it politely, but my dad was just kind of giving me a little grief about it and was like, oh, you should really come. You know, we've all been sick this year and the whole thing. And I said, dad, you have to drive 35 minutes one way. I have to drive eight hours round trip dealing with New York City traffic? How do you feel about it? You know? And he understood. So I think it's a big deal to set your boundaries. And I really appreciate that you talked about that, especially when grieving, especially when you're depressed. Agreed.
1: I think I think setting boundaries, and I know I talked about setting limits, yeah. um, because those aren't necessarily the same thing, but they're so tied together, right? Being willing to set our limits for what we you know, sometimes setting our limits means setting internal traffic signals, if you will, so that we are aware of when we're pushing our limits too far. And when something comes up and something activates us to a point, that's when we need to stop and pay attention that maybe we're maybe we're testing those limits or maybe we've crossed them. So those are more like our limits are almost more like our internal boundaries. To me, boundaries almost cries what we're setting with the external world or the people in our world. So I think both are extremely important, especially during the holidays. Especially.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, we're about to delve into the metaphysical now. So, you know, Yay. Melissa, if you didn't get that from the bio is a huge metaphysical person. So I've, I can't wait to hear your advice. You had said in one episode of your podcast that you turn the dial up on your metaphysical abilities after going through such traumatic grief. How did you get your dial turned up? And have you heard any metaphysical stories from your fellow grievers, listeners, etc.? I'm sure you have, but you know, I have to can't assume things.
1: Well, I, I mean, I know you know of a very recent episode with uh, Vicky Stam that she definitely talked about it. My empathy in general had been, the dial had been just cranked. It had gone from, you know, I always feel like I've been a fairly sympathetic person when it was appropriate for the circumstance, empathetic. But now um, even my husband's like, you know, he knows and he's known me for a long, long time. He's like, I, he's he's physically witnessed the effect that things have on me because of literally being empathetic, internalizing somebody else's experience or pain. And even if I'd like to try not to, I can't for me that, I mean, it came from the fact that I was shattered to a point that I'll just kind of call it an innocence. It it shattered my entire exterior. So that kind of crust that we form as we get older. Like, I mean, I'll just dumb it down for a minute for the sake of myself (laughs) and say that children are very often open vessels, you know, well, they are, they're born that way, but there are a lot of them stay that way longer than others if they don't have trauma and things, but really young kids are very open. And a lot of times they will speak about Spiritual connection that they have, they'll have a a dead fill in the blank grandpa, grandma, uncle, somebody that they'll talk about playing with. A lot of times they have quote unquote imaginary friends. All the things that you know they'll talk that like like pets often do. You'll see them looking or reacting to something that the rest of us may not. Well, as we grow up and are most often uh, taught, though they. These things don't exist and all the things that that exteriorly affect us, we kind of form this crust. Mm-hmm. And so while I feel like I've always been someone who believed in all things spiritual, I've always You know, I'm going to joke and wink, wink, but there's also a piece of it that's absolutely not a joke and wink, wink to me. But I always, you know, was enamored with witchcraft. And, you know, I always, those were the movies I gravitated towards. Those are the things I looked at. I always collected rocks. I've always, I've always, I've always been involved in plants and putting my feet in the earth and things that I just wasn't connecting all the dots on. And losing Alex and having a child on the other side along with being stripped down emotionally to like pieces everywhere. It just opened me back up on a level that allowed for that, like I said, dial to be turned up because then I had perspective and choice in how I put this back together and what I allowed to be on the, on the exterior this time versus what got buried. It was about rebuilding myself Some of it came from what the loss did to me and some of it came from the fact that he was now on the other side and I now had somebody, I mean, I had my dad and I had my grandma and people on the other side that I loved and felt somewhat connected to, but that's my baby. That's my child. Like a mother will, I'll just say this, a mother will reach through the veil to put her hand out for her kid. So those are the things that really helped me turn up the dial and, keep it there because <laughs> I had a choice I could have turned it back down. Yeah. I could I could have muted it. I could have done a lot of things and if anything I've chosen to enhance it and going back to crystal energy so soon. Also, I won't lie doing not only meditating and staying connected spiritually but bringing crystals, rocks back into my life because they had been out of my life for a long time. There is absolutely zero denying that energetically When I was suddenly paying attention to my energy centers and I'm enhancing those and I'm working on my psychic abilities and the energies of the stones are working with that as well, there's intent to it too and working those muscles out. I mean, I have had lots of people share stories, I could always go back and I could very easily look at a lot of my um, stories, Lenore went from being a scientist to being a medium, and I'm making it sound very simple. It's not a simple thing, but I make it sound simple. So there's I have a, a lot, probably a whole lot more than I think than my guests that have talked about how they've been affected metaphysically after a significant traumatic loss.
0: I just want to point out the episode, A Mother's Love is Forever. That's the one we, or you had originally talked about with Vicki Stam. She has an amazing time warp story in there, for lack of a better word. And she also discusses her signs from her deceased son, Calvin, which is amazing. So I want to ask you, what metaphysical signs do you receive from Alex. Yeah, I'd love to
1: love to share that cuz I receive quite a few regularly. We've had to develop our language and that's the thing. People assume they're just going to suddenly get f- feathers dropping in their lap or something. And on some level that does kind of happen like but you have to one you have to be aware of it. You have to foster that connection. You have to sometimes ask spirit, but you have to be open enough. It goes back to open enough to see the signs. And then translate them because are there coincidences and signs? Yes, there are both. Could one be the other and be mistranslated? Sure, it could. And sometimes even if it's a coincidence, if it feels like a sign, you know, I also talk about in more than probably one of my episodes recently about how we often hear people say, is that really a sign? Is it or is it just in your head? Are you really feeling better from that crystal energy or is it just in your head? And that kind of makes me laugh because if people really just stop to think about what they said, isn't all of the power really in our head anyway, if you really stop and absorb our brain, our perception becomes our reality. So if you really stop and think about it, where one leaves off and the other is really kind of a gray area anyway. So is it a sign or is it a coincidence? I don't know. You tell me, right? So. For me, Alex sends me signs like the way he got me to understand that he was sending signs was that I often say he beat me over the head with threes. So things have definitely become, it's almost comical and I can feel him laughing sometimes at it now. Things almost always happen in threes now when he wants to make sure I'm aware that it's him and he uses songs and electronic things a lot. And so things will happen in threes if I'm unsure. Now, sometimes I'm unequivocally sure and he doesn't always do threes. But if there's any form of, if there's any doubt going on in mom, I'll get three things very close together, not necessarily boom, 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 but in a very short order that are unmistakable. And then I'll be like the third time I almost always speak out
0: loud to him like, okay, I got it. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
1: I got it. You can stop now.
0: There um, he is again, right, being that person that is magnetic and walks into the room and you can't stop but see him and listen to him and he's like, "Mom, I'm here." Hello. Right, exactly. And and
1: you know, we don't get feathers, but we do get cardinals and I laugh because Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, cardinals are known to be a bird of the yes. afterlife. Yes, they are. So It's one of those things where you go, okay, are you just being influenced by the fact that people say you see cardinals when a loved one is near? Or is there something to the fact that cardinals are a creature of spirit, that they are a creature that that brings spirit to you? Because I believe strongly in that, like I get that. And that's why they've become known as that, you know? And so... We have a couple of cardinals that live right around here. Now, I wasn't even aware that cardinals were really in Florida. They are, but they're not as prevalent as they were in the Midwest. We have Alex's dog, Harper, his baby girl. Almost daily, maybe not every day, Garrison would say, but my husband will tell you that there's a cardinal that shows up and walks with them in the morning a lot. Like a lot. Sits outside and cheeps until they go out. And then we'll kind of fly along and follow them. But we've had the cardinal thing happening since since the beginning. We would have them in the backyard. They would show up like it. we'd be talking. I mean, that's the thing. You have to start paying attention. There's a cardinal, and is it just a cardinal? Or do you have cardinals coming and showing up when you're just thought of your person or just talked about them? And one of the more prominent things that we had happen in recent times with a cardinal, and, I, and he actually has, the cardinals have shown up for other people like my closest girlfriend and another close girlfriend of mine, and they'll take pictures and send them to me when they show up because they'll show up at times for them that they know it's Alex, not meaning my son's in the bird, but I know you, I know you understand. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's <laughs> one bird flying around I the world. It. I had the front door of the place that I work open about, it wasn't this time last year. It was a little later. So probably about nine months ago. And we had seen, I'd seen the cardinal fly by and I'd questioned it and I'd seen it fly by and I questioned it. And then the cardinal came and landed on the door handle. And it's like, I'd seen it fly. There's a big awning and a big front porch in this place that we work. And the door was propped open because it was nice Florida weather. That bird almost had to be inside the, the to, to have gotten where it got. It had to fly under and out uh, and land. And cardinals aren't really friendly I'm just saying they're kind of aggressive birds like blue jays, not quite that aggressive. And so to have a cardinal fly almost into and just, and it just sat there and it cheep cheeped, it wasn't hurt or anything, sat on the door handle, kind of looked my way a couple times, cheeped. I'm sitting there with tears welling up in my eyes thinking, just stay there bird, right? Just stay there. And then it flew off right as my husband walked off. And I said, did you see that? He goes, was there a cardinal under the, uh, you know, under the overhang here? I said, it was on the door handle. Cardinals are definitely a thing. Rainbows are a thing, which isn't a surprise. I mean, he probably gives me a rainbow three times a year approximately. That's an approximate. So it isn't like I see a rainbow every time it rains and that kind of thing. And I know there's more rainbows that I don't see, but it's about, especially in his last couple of weeks for some reason he was listening to Israel Kamakawiwoʻole's song Somewhere Over the Rainbow
0: mm.
1: and he loved that song and again he had he was a show choir person so he had a very broad spectrum of music he liked but he often liked things that other people might have gone what <laughs> that was probably one of those but We'd gone on vacation to Montana while he was home, and I remember him playing that song a lot. And so consequently, that's a song that means a lot. And the whole rainbow thing started showing up pretty quickly. And I also, I have a cousin who ties my dad to rainbows. My dad's been gone for 23 years. Um, she, for, for has thought that that uncle david shows up in rainbows for a long time so i have no doubt that alex and dad are probably in on that together so i don't get coins or anything like that um i get threes and i get he messes with electronics and songs he does come through in song a lot which he was a huge like we are my husband and i and my whole family we like music a lot and he was obviously very musical so that makes sense that he would come through in music and song So I'd say music and song, rainbows, and besides the overall reaching thing of threes, the cardinals, those are kind of the main signs of spirit that we get. A lot of his friends get sevens. Sevens were his thing. Like sevens apparently were heavily his thing in his friend world and all of his friends knew that Alex got sevens all the time. I guess it started sometime in early high school. I don't get the sevens as much we have found some things that make me think he's showing up but not that's not a regular sign it's as we've matured our relationship I think he knows that I know that's for somebody else like he probably shows up with several of his best friends in sevens
0: well I want to discuss what happened when I was on your podcast and also discuss what happened last night and this morning which I haven't even told you I'm glad that you saved it. I'm glad that you saved it (laughs) (laughs) to tell me. (laughs) Save it for the live. When I was on your podcast, smoke alarms mysteriously kept going off in my house. And it happened, let's say, a couple days before I went on your podcast. It might have been three days. I don't know if it's the number three, but it kept happening. And it was happening in different parts of the house. So it's like, okay, if it's happening in one part of the house, maybe there's a carbon monoxide issue or there's a... It wasn't. We have a carbon monoxide detector, the whole thing. We pay our chimney guy a lot to come and (laughs) clean our chimneys and all that. So everything was okay. And then it stopped. And then it just stopped. So uh, I thought that was interesting. I have no idea where that came from. It hasn't happened since. Okay. So let's talk about what happened. uh, We'll go to last night. Last night, I know my listeners have heard me talk about this a million times. I have a very metaphysical TV room and in the TV room, the TV turns on by itself. It has given me messages. My dog can communicate with me through the TV. It hasn't turned on in quite some time. And last night it turned on for no reason. The Northern lights were on it. I don't know if that means anything, but then this morning I listened to your episode an alarm went off that I have no idea where it came from. I rewinded the episode. I was like, maybe it was in Melissa's house. Wasn't there. My dog even heard it. My dog turned his head and was like, whoa, what was that? And I don't have an alarm that sounds like this in this house. And it wasn't a smoke alarm. So. It's in my podcast? No, it's not in your podcast. Oh. I rewinded because I was like, oh, maybe it's in Melissa's episode. And so I rewinded a minute back and it wasn't there because it's not something that came from my house. Cause I've never heard an alarm. It was like beep, beep, beep. And I don't have anything that does that here, including the smoke alarms.
1: It and- had to be in my episode. I bet it was in my house. We do have a front door alarm tied to the business that does that. And that's one of the things that Alex has, I wouldn't say learn to mess with, but he's only done it a couple of times. Uh-huh. The first time he did it was after I was watching the night I watched the episode um, in surviving death that called signs and it had never done it. We had been here almost a year at the time. It had never done that ever. Not one time. And it, I was getting up and we were talking about signs and turning off the lights to go to bed. And he did it at first. I didn't know it was him. I a hundred percent know it was him. Now it's interesting. Cause it makes me almost want to find whether I accidentally were, you know, whether that happened during that recording and that's what you heard.
0: And I heard three distinct beep, beep, beep.
1: Yeah, that's what it does.
0: And we don't have it in this house. And, uh, and the weird Bentley heard it too. My, my dog heard it too. He was like, "Whoa!" he just quickly went, "Whoa!"
1: did you have it in your ears? Like you do now earbuds
0: no. or it was just playing no. in the room? It was playing in the room.
1: Because it almost makes me wonder if since you rewind it and look for it, I mean, I, I'll be interested to see if I can pick it up prominently or whether it's maybe so low that you wouldn't normally hear it. And for some reason it came out louder, but it, it, I'll be interested to listen to whether it's actually there or not.
0: I kind of want to listen back too, because I'm like, am I going crazy? You know, you think about these things and you're like, wait, but that's too much of a coincidence. You know, it's too much of a synchronicity. It's too much.
1: Well, especially now that you know that, Well, I'd have to think about when I was recording that episode and whether that could have happened during that episode. Because sometimes I could say, well, that would have never happened. Because meaning if a door was open, that that would have happened with. There's times that I could say, well, yeah, I know there was no door open during that. So that didn't happen. I mean, I try to be mindful of my surroundings and my husband will try to be mindful. But um, he can't always prevent from opening a door or doing something that might cause that. Hmm. I will tell you that my TV and we've had this TV for many years. So it's never gone off and on by itself until this last, we just have it randomly turn and not often, it, but it's been randomly turning on now for a couple weeks. Like we'll just, and we need to pay attention to when it's turning on. We haven't been doing that. Like it doesn't, it's only done it in front of us. Well, actually, now that I say that it's never done it in front of me. I think it, I think my husband the other day goes, the TV just turned on. And so, you know, your brain does start to go, it's a short or something, but it's really kind of hard to turn on a TV. Like you have to intentionally push a remote control or the button or be an energetic force that turns the TV on.
0: And the alarm, you know, some people have said to me, oh, your your TV has this alarm that, that the manufacturers put on. Well, it doesn't because I checked and I went into the TV and checked the whole settings and everything, the alarm's off. And even if there was an alarm, it would come on the same time every day, right? It would come on every day at 4 p.m. or whatever. There's no alarm. It comes on randomly. So yours is like mine. I also had an electrician check out my entire TV room. Nothing. I have things happen in my car that are strange with music. I had Nissan check out my entire audio system. Nothing. So there you go, you know? So signs. Lines. Yeah, for sure. How can listeners utilize their metaphysical abilities or practices to make the holidays more enjoyable, or or at least a little bit tolerable this year?
1: Meditate for one, yeah. Um, which I believe is a is a deeply, if you allow it to be a deeply metaphysical experience meditation takes a lifetime of practice people think you can learn to meditate and tomorrow you're some sort of professional meditator and i don't think there is such a thing as a unless you're some sort of buddhist monk that's lived in the mountains your entire life meditating requires mindfulness from those of us that even do it regularly so i think that's a huge way i think asking for and being open to signs yes Is a way to metaphysically connect with your loved ones during the holidays, whatever the loss is. Um, I'm more connected to my dad in the last two years than I have been in the 21 years previously because I'm more open to it now, which is a nice gift, right? So that just asking and being open to, I think being intentional, this is going to sound really, really weird, but being intentional about your dream space your sleep space during the holidays can be super powerful because we really do have more, especially when we practice, when we work those muscles, we do have more power than we think we do into the quality of sleep and the quality or quantity of dreams that we have and what we remember if we're intentional about it. And there's a lot of things on the internet and places people can look. And so I'm not going to go into any of that, but I believe that's a place And I think planning for some sort of holiday connection or remembrance, however they want to look to, is is a good way too. Because if you know you have that to look forward to, whatever that looks like for you, whether that's an entire day or a moment or decorating an altar or a gravesite or whatever that could be that you know you've intentionally set aside one or many times to connect with your grief, with that loved one that you're grieving for, gives us the same type of anticipation. I mean, I know it's different because it's, it's coded with the complications of loss, but it does give us the anticipation of connecting with our grief and our loved one, because we've said, I'm going to go do this and I, or I'm going to sit down and spend the time putting together this project or this memorial piece or whatever. And it allows us to not just go, well, I got to I got to shove this down and not grieve and not be sad. Instead, you're setting aside time to actually do just that. So, strangely enough, one of the ways of coping with grief during the holidays is setting aside time to allow yourself to be a griever. If you don't already have an altar, now's a good time to build one. A lot of people already have it, whether they call it an altar or not, they already may have a place. If they don't find a little place, it could be as small as make, you know, get a little coffee saucer put a few little things on that and put it on the corner of your fill in the blank vanity table desk, whatever that can be an altar. I mean, a lot of people get confused with movies and things we've seen, right? That we think an altar needs to be some giant crazy
0: statue of Mary Magdalene and Jesus. And yeah, yeah thank
1: yeah. you. Yeah. Or, you know, or a huge nativity sit on the lawn yeah, or whatever. Yeah. An altar can be really small, but it's if it's intentional and it's for that person, And then, you know, if people already have an altar for their loved one, many parents do, they may have a mantle, they may have a side table they've set up with the photos and maybe the urn and different things like that. I mean, that's an altar, whether you want to call it that or not. It's a place of remembrance, a place of, then they can put the little, a lot of people change their altar, but the Christmas time, this holiday season is a good time to do that, to be intentional with managing your altar to your loved one.
0: Perfect. And you are my crystal queen friend. What crystal would you recommend for grievers who struggle during the holidays?
1: Am I supposed to just give
0: one? You can do whatever you want.
1: (laughs) No rules here, Melissa. No
0: rules.
1: (laughs) Okay. So you need to have some rose quartz in your back pocket because it's the, it's the easiest go-to for love and gentle, calm love. Um, if I had to, if I had to stick with just, I have a really hard time with this or because different crystals speak to different people. Some people won't get the same. So I'll stick to four, One those quartz, that's easy. Another one is angel light, which is quite literally a stone of connection with angels. It's also a very calm blue color. It is a very calming stone, but because it's blue, it will work with your throat chakra, which will help give you. Voice, Whether it's internal or external is irrelevant, but it'll help give you voice. It'll also help you connect angelically and it helps develop those psychic powers. So I like to recommend one that will do that. Unlike rose quartz that will just bring you into that peaceful love. Amethyst is my go-to all over my house because it's just a soul crystal. So it's quite embarrassing when I actually think about the amount of amethysts I have in my house but I'm more connected to my soul than I've ever been. So we could tie those together. I think I like that. I have
0: to get some amethyst. I only have one.
1: (laughs) And then I guess I'll give a gratuitous fifth, even though I haven't given the fourth yet. The gratuitous fifth is that if anybody wants to Google and you can fairly easily find Apache tears, I would be remiss to not mention the Apache tear is often known as the grief stone. I personally haven't done an awful lot of work with an Apache tear. I have three of them. I have three little tiny Apache tears. They are said to where they're found and mined. They were said to be on the land of many Apaches whose tears were shed over a lot of, yeah. So it, it's why it's known as the grief stone and they're a dark little almost glass-like stone But one that really speaks to me in traumatic grief, and many of us, whether we've lost someone to suicide or not, have a lot of trauma in our grief because of how we've lost our loved one or the trauma we've had ourselves. And one of the stones that speaks the greatest to me in this is Ibis Jasper because it speaks to the brokenness. I know that nobody can see the Ibis Jasper I'm holding, but to just look at Ibis Jasper, it is a it's cracked by nature, meaning it has cracks of crystal running all through it. To look at it, it looks like something cracked and broken and was was put back together. But unlike, you know, the Japanese pottery, you don't see the gilded lines in this. You see just cracks. You see, I mean, you can see through the crystal because there's quartz in those cracks, but it's just like it was cracked and put back together. And h- consequently, that stone works very, very well with brokenness.
0: I love your logo, your your heart. That's, it's a heart that's broken, correct? hmm In your logo. And that came from a crystal as well.
1: Yes, that, that came from a carnelian, an actual heart that I have that has a, a hole in it. It has a hole right in the middle and cracks coming off of it. But if you look in, I always tell this story, but if you look inside of the hole on that carnelian heart, it's sparkly and beautiful. I mean, you have to look at it. But it, it, helped, it helped me see very early on that even in the places that will never be whole again, there's still beauty. There's still beauty in the cracks. So it was, um, that's why that, I mean, that's why my logo became a heart. It's not red like the Carnelian heart is, but it's, um, that was the, the inspiration for that was that, you know, even through brokenness, we can still be beautiful.
0: That's true. Thank you. And I think many of my listeners will check out your podcast, The Leftover Pieces, Suicide Loss Conversations. It's everywhere. It's on Apple. It's on Spotify. It's everywhere. It's a heavy subject. How do you recommend people listen to your episodes? Well,
1: two ways. Two ways came to mind with this question, because I did my homework on your your questions, and I was <laughs> aware of, of we were where we were going. Two things come to mind with recommending how people listen to these is, one, because I do very extensive show notes, you have the ability to look at show notes and see what the topic's going to be. Is it going to be, and I say a little lighter, that's kind of like, I mean, and nothing I talk about is light, but I mean, life is real and I'm somewhat light and witty by nature as a human. So there is some levity in some things that I talk about and some things are by nature a little bit less heavy and some of the conversations are more so. And so the first place to start is the show notes and see if that feels like it resonates with you. You know, is the loss resonate with you or the subjects? Also, every podcast episode that I have a conversation with somebody, so the longer ones, I do a bio intro that's about two to four minutes. So they can kind of yes get, they can kind of understand what they're about to get into. So if you hear that, and that kind of makes you cringe, or you feel like eh, this might be too much, then I would say go with your gut, because I've intentionally recorded those after the episode so that I can give people an idea of what to anticipate. The second piece is no matter what, you are right. This is a heavy subject, so probably plan to listen to it accordingly. We, we don't always sit down and watch a movie that's heavy because we know we're getting ready to go to a party afterwards or, you know, that we need to go peacefully to sleep and sleep really well or whatever. So I, I would just tell people to be mindful. I hate to overuse that word, but be mindful of whether, whether you're about to have to do something important. That it might draw your focus off of because there are going to be a lot of thought provoking things that whether we intend for it to be something we continue to think about or not, it might be.
0: And I want to talk about my experience as a listener, listening to your uh, podcast. Please do, please do. (laughs) So the vibe of the podcast is supported, uplifted and spiritual. And that's how I truly feel. If you're a griever, this is the podcast where you really feel that support. On Instagram, I just posted about one of your most recent episodes on hope. And I love that episode. And you gave a great exercise. I don't want to give away, but you gave a great breathing exercise on that as well that I was doing. I was doing it today. I was doing it yesterday. I love it so much. I have listened to your episodes a lot at once, and I was fine with that. But just to balance it out a little, then I would go on to XM and <laughs> listen to like kind of a silly show. And you can do that too as well. But I want to tell people that, yes, of course, it's a heavy subject. You know what you're getting into, but it is an uplifted, definitely spiritual vibe. And there is that, that sense of support. So I really do love your podcast and I urge people to go over and listen.
1: That means so much to me to hear, because that is something you know, as a podcaster, that aside from reading the kind words that some people are kind enough to put in our show, in our um, reviews, most of the time, we don't know what people think. It's just out there in the world. (laughs) And so I so appreciate you telling me that because I think you might not tell me on live on the air, but you might tell me later if you felt like it was Well, first of all, I don't know if you would have asked me to be on if I was gloom and doom and downtrodden and, you know, not that sadness doesn't have a place because it does, but it it helps to hear that it feels supporting and uplifting because that's my intention is to get in in the hope episode, hopefully shown, hopefully shown through because that's one of my biggest messages is, you know, I talk about leading people from survival into hope and toward healing. so. That's, that's the goal.
0: I left you a text voice message a couple of days ago, and it may not have gone through. But I love that episode so much that you did on hope that I'd like to see in 2022. A suggestion, a listener suggestion for you to do an episode on faith. I
1: did get that suggestion. I thought, oh, I, an- yeah.
0: I, thought I answered you. So now I'm questioning bit. whether
1: mine went through or not. But I did get that. And I actually wrote it down. And I took it as kind of a, um, a challenge, because meaning in a good way, in a totally good way, because I love to stretch and challenge myself. Yeah. And it would be a great challenge to discuss faith, because faith obviously can mean many things, but that's what it would challenge me to do because I don't have a religious faith, but I respect a lot of people that I know and love that do, but I do have a lot of faith. So it would be a good one. So thank you for that. I'm going to stretch myself and it's on the it's on the list. It's now on the okay. list because of you. Yes. It made me go, I should do love also because then I've completed the faith, hope, and love thing. And I could tie that all back together of what faith, hope, and love mean in my world.
0: And I'd love to get you on here in 2022, just really quickly to... um, to discuss, I don't know if you'd want to ever discuss food with me and making food and spiritual food because you are or were an executive chef for many years. And I'm fascinated by that just because I hate the restaurant business so much. <laughs> so I hate it because I was a server and I absolutely hate it. And I did it since I was 15 until age, I have to think about that, but you know, let's say age 35, 36 and on and off, you know, kind of dipped my toe on and off. And uh, so I'd love to hear about your experience How you handled yourself spiritually in that space? (laughs) I did not do a good job. I clearly did not do a good job. So maybe we can do that in 2022. That would be kind of fun.
1: Yeah, for sure, absolutely. And I already have like you don't know it yet, but I have you penciled in to a non-existent date for season three because I'd like to have you back to talk a little bit more on being two inches off the ground and how that applies to grievers. So, so there you go. We all have, we, we have some. <laughs> <You're really laughs>
0: so any last thoughts before we close out?
1: The only last thoughts I have, I know it's redundant. I've said it already, but there's always, always, always hope. Grief is hard. I mean, it's just hard. I don't like to sugarcoat things. I don't like to dance around them. And I often say hard things are hard. So when people, you know, because and that sounds silly, but so often people say, I can't do that because it's so hard. Well, we don't have a choice about grief. I mean, you can ignore it and it's going to show back up or you can tackle it and it's hard for what I know so far in my grief journey, not just since the loss of Alex, but since the loss of other people in my life too, grief does get easier to carry over time and you can learn to live alongside of it and still have a joyful, happy life. It's just, it, there's, it's not a clean line. It's messy.
0: Perfect holiday message. Hope. Thank you. And I'm, I'm wondering if I'm going to look out because I'm going to take a walk in the woods to say if I'm going to see a cardinal because I never see cardinals. And the last time I saw a cardinal, someone had just passed. So
1: I'll be really interested to know if you
0: see a cardinal today too, or if your smoke alarm goes off or <laughs> yeah, if something else happens. So yeah. thank you so much, Melissa for speaking with us and sharing your invaluable wisdom. Please, everyone, check out Melissa on Instagram at The Leftover Pieces and her new website, which I just went on. It's so good, theleftoverpieces.com. I'm definitely going to get a hoodie for 2022 because it looks so cool. And it's a lot of spiritual, nice, comfy things, which we need for this winter. Of course, all of her information will be in the show notes. You know, you know that, just to check there. And this is the close of season one. So exciting. Until next time. Live your life
1: two inches off the ground.
0: Thank you, Melissa.
1: Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays.